your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 14, please. 1 Kings chapter 14. And we're going to read several verses out of 1 Kings 14 this morning for our text. First Kings chapter 14. All right, we'll begin in verse 1. You follow along as I read. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam. And get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruse of honey, and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so, and arose, and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of age. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam, why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Go, tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, for as much as I exalted thee from among the people... And made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it to thee. And yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes. But thou hast done evil above all that were before thee, for thou hast gone and made thee other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger, and hast cast me behind thy back." Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung, till it be all gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord hath spoken it. Arise thou, therefore, and get thee to thine own house." And when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for only of Jeroboam shall come, excuse me, for, uh, for, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day, but what even now? For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of his good land, which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves, provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who did sin and who made Israel to sin. And Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah, and when she came to the threshold of the door, the child died. We're going to break this passage down in just a moment and look at some principles inside of it that are very relevant 
uh, to us today. But before we get to our passage, we just kind of introduce it a little bit with, with a couple of thoughts. Uh, in our country, we have what we would call truth and advertising laws. And those truth and advertising laws are meant to protect the public. And basically what that does is it, 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 uh, an example of that would be on the packaging of, of a product in a store. It's required by law that the package has to tell what is inside of that product. For example, like a good example of it would be like a, like a cigarette pack. On the label and on the package, it, it, it has to say that the, the truth that smoking can cause lung cancer, it can cause heart disease, it can cause emphysema, it may complicate pregnancy. So we have advertising laws, truth and advertising laws that are meant to protect the public. One thing we don't have, though, is truth and advertising laws concerning people. In other words, what I'm saying is there's no law about people that requires us to tell people what's really behind the facade that so often people put on. There can be some deceptive packaging going on with people. The clothes that we wear, the facial expressions that we give, the mannerisms that we interact with, the speech patterns, the behaviors. No one is forced to tell you what he or she is really feeling or thinking or planning to do. And so people can put on a good face and people can wear some nice clothes and people can present something as a package that gives an impression of what is there, but on the inside it's something totally different. You follow what I'm saying? We can have some deceptive packaging that goes on. And our deceptive packaging, the way we appear to others, is an accepted, even expected, part of our lifestyle in America. We've become experts at that type of trickery. Even with social media, you know, they put on all the pictures and they put on this picture of what this life is like. And my life is so good. And that's what we want people to think and, and to show out there. But in reality, there might be something far different. There are people who are Christian people who will often put on a show, who will often try to appear as if everything is okay, but inside there's turmoil and there's anguish and there's, there's, there's heartache and there's, there's uh, discouragement and all of those things. And we can be deceptive in the way that we come across. And we can fool men, but we can never fool God. We can never put on a show that's going to deceive God. And that is so true in the spiritual realm. And in our text here this morning, we sort of find some of that going on. And to really grasp what is taking place here, we really need to go back and read the previous chapters of what has already taken place. And for the sake of, the, of time, we can't go back and read every verse so I'm going to try to uh, describe to you what has taken place. We'll read a couple of passages to, that help us along the way, and we'll get a good grasp and context of what has happened before we come into chapter 14. And I'm going to preach to you on this subject this morning, Why feignest thou thyself? 
to be another. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us with your word today. And Lord, that your spirit would work in hearts and that the word of God would be the discerner of the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. And we can fool men, but we can never ever fool God. For you know all things. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word to bring conviction to the heart of those who are not saved today. And maybe there are some who have a profession of faith. Maybe there are some who put on a show, who pretend to be Christian, who think that they're Christian, but in reality their heart is full of deceit and wickedness. And what they need to do is humble themselves. What they need to do is lay it bare before the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself today. Lord, teach us from your word. And may every heart be tender and may every heart be open. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to, Lord, to seek after the Lord and that Christ would be the one who receives all the attention today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, to really grasp what is taking place here, I want us to go back just a little bit and discover a few things. In the first verse, you, you find that at that time, Ahijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. Jeroboam, at this point in time, is the king over ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel as a whole had turned their back on God. The nation of Israel as a whole were worshiping idols. And so the Lord took the kingdom away from Solomon, except for one tribe. It was the tribe of Judah. Go back to chapter 11. Just keep your place here. Put a ribbon there or do something. But look back in chapter 11. And look at verse 31. And the Bible says here, And he said to Jeroboam, Take me ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I have chosen, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give... It unto thee, even ten tribes. And so we find here that because the nation of Israel had turned their back on God, and they were worshiping the, the gods of the heathen people, which are not gods at all, they're false gods, they were worshiping them. God said, because they've not obeyed my ways, I'm going to take the kingdom away from Solomon, except for one, the tribe of Judah, and I'm going to give it to you, the ten tribes. Solomon at this point, then, as we read on, Solomon has died, and his son, Rehoboam, begins to reign in his stead. And the people begin to complain to him that his father, Solomon, had a heavy hand and a heavy burden with taxation on the people. And so the people wanted Rehoboam to be more kind to them and to give them a lighter burden. 
And so what we find as we would read along, Rehoboam takes some counsel with the older men, the men who were uh, uh, under Solomon's reign. And he, he takes counsel with them because they served his father. And they said, Rehoboam, that's what you should do. You should have a lighter hand on the people. You should not tax them as hard, and so on. But Rehoboam didn't like that counsel. He didn't want to hear that. So Rehoboam starts to take counsel with his buddies, the younger men. And they said, no, you should do just the opposite. You should have a heavier hand than your dad, and, you, and people will respect you, and you'll rule well. So Rehoboam says, I like that. And so he comes back to the people, and he says, no, in fact, I'm going to be harder on you than my father was, and you're going to like it. Well, guess what? They didn't like it. And what happened was, at that point, a revolt ensued. And they ended up stoning Adoram, who Adoram was Rehoboam's tax collector, if you will. And that started to scare Rehoboam just a little bit. That was enough to make him say, whoa, this isn't going like I thought. He hightails it back to Jerusalem, and he ends up just being king over the tribe of Judah. Well, meanwhile, as that is going on, Jeroboam, who we're reading about in chapter 14, he had previously fled to Egypt. And the reason he fled to Egypt was because Solomon, who was king at the time, wanted to kill him. And so he runs for his life. But now Solomon is dead. And so Jeroboam returns back because he's safe, because Solomon has died. And when the people found out that Jeroboam was back, they wanted him to be king. Look at chapter 12 in verse 20. In chapter 12 and verse 20, and it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him under the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So all the people hear that Jeroboam is back in town and they want Jeroboam to be king. And they make him king over all of Israel except for Judah. So now Jeroboam is set up as king over these ten tribes of Israel. He's got a pretty good thing going for himself, he thinks. But then something goes a little haywire. Here's where some things start to go wrong for Jeroboam. Jeroboam starts to get a little paranoid, and he begins to think that things aren't going to last if he doesn't do something. He wasn't going to have the people's loyalties for very long if he doesn't do a thing. And the thing that he did was a massive mistake. And what was happening was the people still needed to go up to Jerusalem to worship God. And Jeroboam starts to think if the people continually have to go to Jerusalem to worship God and, and I'm not king over Judah and so on, the people's loyalties are going to begin to turn. And so what I think I need to do is I need to set up some places of worship in different cities for the people to be able to go and worship and they don't have to go to Jerusalem. Well, what he ends up doing is setting up some false gods. He made some calves, and he said to the people, Behold thy gods, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Let's look at chapter 12 again and just look at verse 26. In verse 26, the Bible says here, And Jeroboam said in his heart, 
Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So you see the mindset of Jeroboam here. And the Bible says what? That he thought in his heart. He said in his heart. This was an idea that he came up with. So instead of believing the Lord and obeying the Lord, Jeroboam decides that he's going to fix the problem by doing his own thing. Now go to verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar... So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So Jeroboam makes a huge mistake. Instead of obeying the command of the Lord, what he does is devise something in his own heart, and he begins to set up these places of worship so that he (coughs) could maintain the loyalties of the people. And the Bible says this thing became a sin. Not only for him, but he caused the people to sin. Jeroboam made a huge mistake. He sinned against the Lord and There comes a point in time when Jeroboam actually realizes it. And he knows it. And so God tells him through a prophet that his kingdom is going to be taken away from him. But he didn't listen. Go to chapter 13 and verse 33. The Bible says, After this thing... Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. So Jeroboam made up his own mind. Jeroboam understands that his kingdom is going to be taken away, but he didn't listen. He returned not from his evil way, but he made again the high places. And he follows after his own devices. And this is where chapter 14 begins. And we see this story of deceit unfolding before us. Jeroboam 
makes an attempt to outwit the prophet of the Lord. And in so doing, what we find is that God can never be fooled. God knows exactly what's in the heart. And I want to preach to you on this subject, Why feignest thou thyself to be another? And there's some lessons for us here in this passage. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us today, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word, and Lord, that you would speak to hearts, and Lord, that these principles would be drawn out that would uh, be directed right at the soul. And Father, that there would be no escaping from the presence of the Lord and the Spirit of God. And Lord, that you'd use your word in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to note in this passage is that Jeroboam had a knowledge of God. Jeroboam was not a stranger to the great things Jehovah God had wrought for his people Israel. Their history was rich with the blessings of God. He knew that from history. But besides that, the prophet of the Lord had already told him that he would be king over these people because of the sin of idolatry during Solomon's reign. Go back again to chapter 11, and I want you to see it again. We read some of these verses in chapter 11, but let's look at verse 29. In verse 29, the Bible says here, And it came to pass at that time that Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes unto thee. Now skip to verse 33. Because, and here's the reason why I'm going to give you the tribes, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as David his father." So he says here that I'm giving you the kingdom because of the idolatry of the people. Now skip to verse 35. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee even ten tribes. Look at verse 37. And I will take thee and thou shalt reign according to all thy soul desireth and shall be king in Israel and it shall be if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that which is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. Jeroboam had all kinds of the knowledge of God. He knew exactly what God had already said. It had come to pass. Jeroboam was not unfamiliar with the will of God. He also, not only that, but he also knew the command of the Lord regarding worship unto the Lord. 
He was not unfamiliar with what God had required of the people. Look at chapter 12 in verse 26. Chapter 12 in verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel." which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So Jeroboam has the knowledge of God. God told him he would be king. He understood the history of the nation of Israel, how God delivered them out of Egypt, and how he formed them as a, as a people, as a nation. He understood what God's requirement regarding worship was. He had the knowledge of God before him. But then he set up his own religion in a place of worship to false gods. Jeroboam had knowledge of God and His ways. Jeroboam was not acting out of ignorance when he did all of these things. And even though he had this knowledge of God, he refused to acknowledge God when it came to the issue of his own wicked heart and his own sin. You understand what I just said? Even though he had the knowledge of God, he refused to acknowledge God. When it came to the issue of his heart and his own sin, God told him if he would just follow after the Lord, if he would obey the Lord, if he would follow after his statutes and his testimonies, that God would bless him. But he refused to hearken unto the Lord. And his acts of worship, they were not according to the will of God. They were now according to his own thoughts and his own convenience and made up in his own heart. And he made Israel to sin by substituting his own ways for the ways of the Lord. Verse 33 of chapter 12 says, So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar burnt incense. It was of his own making. And I lay all of that out to make this application. There are many, quote, religious people who have a knowledge of God. They know the ways of the Lord because they've heard the truth in their life, maybe from the time they were little, maybe it was later on in life, but there are these, quote, Christian people who have a knowledge of the ways of God, they've heard the truth, but in their daily life, they live in presumptuous denial of the divine revelation of God in their life. And on Sunday, they might come to church and they might put on this face, I'm a good Christian, I know the Lord, and so on. But the rest of the week, they deny the existence of God by the very way that they live. Amen. Who cares about the things of God? I'm doing my own thing. I got it all set up in my life. But I'm a good Christian person. It's happened many times. Maybe folks from another denomination visit a church like this one. 
they hear the gospel preached. Maybe the Spirit of God even begins to prick their heart and convict their heart that their religion and their works are not good enough and you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a sinful person under the judgment of God and they don't like to hear that, but I've got my religion, I've got my works. Clearly, I'm okay with God. And they convince themselves of something that isn't true. And they leave trying to convince themselves that they're a good person and they're okay with God. And they hold on to all kinds of things like, well, I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I go to church. I have a profession of faith. My parents were Baptists. And they end up substituting their own ways for the ways of the Lord. That applies to regular attenders of Bible-preaching churches as well. You know, you can grow up in a Christian home. I did. You can make a profession of faith when you're five, six, seven years old. I did. Let me just make a side note. I'm sensing the Lord wants me to say this. In the day that we live in, very, very rarely, if ever, will a five, six, seven-year-old child understand their knowledge of sin, their guilt before God, the condemnation that they are under, and in faith and repentance turn to God for salvation. It's like, you might, that might shock you. But the reality is, salvation only comes when there is repentance toward God. Repentance of what? Of my sinful, wicked heart. And I'm under condemnation before God. And salvation is not just praying a prayer at an altar. Salvation is not your parents telling you that you were saved at five years old. That's not salvation. Salvation is, I am guilty before God. And I flee to Him for mercy. And how many people sit in Baptist churches in pews like this who have a profession of five years old and I'm not trying to be offensive. I am not. I'm trying to tell you the truth. More than likely, you were never saved at five years old. I'm not trying to be offensive. Please do not misunderstand me. But I know, that, I know, what, it, I know what it's like. I was it. I was it. At six years old, I made a profession of faith. Why? Because you know what? That's what we're supposed to do. I was raised in religion. I was raised in church. And I knew, I knew what the Bible said. You need to be saved from your sin. I knew that. But what I didn't know was how sinful my own heart was. That's what I didn't know. And I can't, you know what? And, my, and it pleases my parents. My parents want me to be saved. This is what we're supposed to do. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? Of course I want to go to heaven. Well, this is how you go to heaven. You get saved. I don't want to go to hell. That's a horrible place. That's the judgment of God. I don't want that. Well, how do you avoid hell? You get saved. I want to do that. So I came forward, and a very well-meaning man 
took me aside and he showed me some Bible verses. Do you understand this? Yes, I understand. Do you want to get saved? Yes, I want to get saved. Then you just need to ask Jesus to save you. And I prayed a prayer and I said, I want to be saved. Jesus, will you save me? Now I'm saved. And I'm in a good Christian home and I'm saved. I'm not mocking anyone. I'm talking about myself. This was my life. But I've seen this a hundred times if I've seen it once. And people grow up in this church and they grow up in religion and they grow up with this profession of faith. I'm saved, I'm saved. And yet their life and they struggle, they struggle, they struggle in their life. No power over sin. Nothing that resembles real change in Christianity. That was me. And for a while, you know, under the, under the rule of your parents, you do what you're told to do. You're obedient. You're a good child. You're a saved person. You get baptized. You're a member of the church. You're doing all the things. All the things. And then there comes a day when your own sinful heart begins to start to take control. And it probably already already was in the attitudes, in the lying, in the deceit. But I'm putting on this show because I'm saved. Right? Got to be a teenager. And man, I'll tell you what, in church... You can say all the right things and act the right way and look the right way. You can do all the things, but the rest of the week, when no one's around, no one's seeing, no one knows what's going on, who cares about God? But I'm saved. Well... Pretty soon I didn't care anymore because I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that's how I lived my life. And it wasn't until I was 19 years old that God crushed me and broke me of my sin and my guilt and shined the light in my life that you are in trouble with God because of your sin. And if you don't turn to the Lord and humble yourself, you will face the judgment of God for all eternity. And I'm telling you, friend, I'm telling you, when I truly came to the end of myself, understanding, understanding what my guilt was before God, I ran to the Lord for mercy. Not holding on to some profession anymore. Not holding on to some Christianity anymore but running to the Lord for mercy, for His mercy, because I'm condemned. That's when I got saved, and God completely changed my life from that day forward. And I wonder how many feign themselves to be something that they're not. That word feign means to put on a show, it means to, de- to, to deceive. It means to, uh, to basically present an image that's not there, that's not true. Because they hold on to some profession. And they may even feel the conviction of the Spirit of God in their heart. But they're not going to listen. And like Jeroboam, who had an opportunity... 
but he would not. And he devised this own thing in his own heart. Kind of getting ahead of myself here. But often when the Spirit of God convicts, people say, well, I have a profession. If I respond, what will people think of me? Because they already think I'm saved. Oh, that happens. It happens all the time. And it's pride in the heart, in disguise. Feigning yourself to be somebody that you're not. Putting on a show on Sunday. And the rest of the week, there's no real concern for the things of God. There's no heart that says, I want to please and obey the Lord. It's pride in the heart in disguise. The heart is drawn to the world. The heart is drawn to sin. It's enjoyed. It's covered. But I'm going to tell you, friend, God is not blind. You can fool men, but you can never fool God. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Luke chapter 16 and verse 15, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's what people do is they justify themselves before men. But God knows the heart. The prophet, Ahijah, even though he was blind, saw right through the disguise that Jeroboam had tried to set up. Let's go back to chapter 14 and let's look at it again in verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam. And get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey, and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so, and arose and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of age. So he's blind, and he can't really see what's going on. But verse 5 says, The Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam, why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. The prophet, even though he was blind, saw right through the disguise, and he exposed her for what she was. And this little plan that Jeroboam had devised in his own heart to fool Ahijah uh, came back upon him because God saw the heart. Let me say this to you. We can fool men all day long, but we can never fool the Word of God or the Holy Spirit of God. 
That's the spiritual realm. And the Word of God is what is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. The part that we cannot see inside, the Word of God begins to work. And the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and starts to show what we are and discern what we really are. And now we're faced with a choice. We can either reject it and deny it and refuse it, even though we're being exposed Or we can humbly receive it and let the Word and the Spirit of God move and work in our own heart. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it's the Word of God that is quick. It means it's alive. It's a supernatural book. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. You know what? Sitting in a church like this, people can try to hide the conviction that they feel inside. They can hide it from men, but they can never get away from the Spirit of God prodding. What about you? What about you? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? When were you saved? When were you truly born again? When did your life change? When did the Spirit of God grip you over your sin and you understood your condemnation before God and you fled for refuge? When did that happen? Or do you have a profession of faith as a child, but you have no assurance in your soul? And the Spirit of God dwelling within you that you are a child of God. Maybe you waver back and forth. Maybe, you, maybe there's the struggle from, from day to day. I'm saved. Maybe, I don't, maybe I'm not saved. I'm saved. Maybe I'm not saved. I don't know. That's not what a child of God is or how they live. The Spirit of God confirms it. That I am a child of God. Gives peace in the soul that I'm His. Jeroboam He had all kinds of knowledge. Jeroboam tried to disguise the character. And we read in verses 2 through 5 how Jeroboam tells his wife to change her appearance, go to the man of God, feigning herself to be another woman. I kind of wonder if Jeroboam knew that Ahijah was blind by reason of age. And so he thought within himself, like, you know what, We'll, we'll... We'll disguise, we'll make a disguise. He won't even know the difference. We'll be able to get an answer that we need. And I think Jeroboam and his wife both forgot that God is not blind, that God can see. He had this knowledge of God, and yet he still tried to hide who he was from God. You notice that? He had this knowledge of God, and yet he still tried to hide who he was from God. And I wonder how many people do the same thing. It's utterly useless for anybody to come to God feigning themselves to be different than what they truly are. And yet this disguising of the character is a common, pious fraud amongst Christian people. And it's haughtiness in the human heart. I'm religious. I made a profession. 
I was baptized. But again, the rest of the week, who cares about God? Pride in the heart in disguise, feigning yourself to be someone you're not, putting on a show. But God can see your heart. And I wonder how often that happens. And the end result, the end result is always failure. Notice it, verse 6 of our text. And it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, as she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Go, tell Jeroboam, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, For as much as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it to thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all of his heart to do that only which was right in mine eyes. But thou hast done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made thee other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and has cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from, the, from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and, and left in Israel and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as a man taketh away dung till it all be gone. And all those of his house would die. The child died. And it ended in utter failure. And as soon as she came to the door of the prophet, she heard the words that no doubt surprised her, although they probably shouldn't have. The light was turned on. Their little scheme was made known. They couldn't fool the prophet because he was led of the Lord. And I'm saying this for one reason. Neither can we fool God. We might be able to put on a good show for a while and fool men, but we can never fool an all-knowing God. There is, that is the way it always is. God always sees the real you and me. Remember Saul before he became the Apostle Paul? In Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, the light was shined on him. He saw Jesus. He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. There was conviction before that in his heart. And he was resisting and resisting and resisting. But it came to a point where he couldn't resist anymore. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was a religious person. He was a master of religion. He was a master of the Jews' religion. He thought he was good and doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. But he saw himself for who he truly was, and it made him repent of his old life and believe on Jesus Christ. Amen. Couldn't fool the Lord. By contrast, though, remember the Pharisees? A couple weeks ago, we preached on this very subject, the Pharisee in the temple. When he was praying in the publican, remember that? And the Pharisee said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. 
And he laid out all of the good things that he had done. And here's why God should be proud of me. And here's how I gained favor with God. All the things that I did. He feigned himself to be a righteous person and never admitted before God what he truly was, a sinner. But the publican, who couldn't even lift up his eyes unto the Lord, smote upon his breast and he said, God, merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus was the one who said, that man went away justified rather than the other. And everybody who trusts in themselves that they are righteous are fools. They're hypocrites. Jeroboam and his wife were desirous to know what would happen to their child, but they didn't want to face the Lord concerning themselves and what they were doing. The disguise was evidently an attempt to avoid having to hear the truth from the man of God. Jeroboam was proud. Jeroboam didn't want to admit his sin before God. He didn't want to humble himself before God, and so God had to judge him. Let me say this in closing. God sees and knows the heart of every man and woman, and He gently prods with His Spirit, trying to get people to humble themselves before Him so that He can save them. Do you understand that? His Spirit is working and prodding in the heart, revealing what we are to get us to humble ourselves so that He can save us. That's nothing but love and mercy and grace. Why is it so difficult for us to admit our condition, our sinfulness, and acknowledge His holiness? And say, you know what, I've had this in my life, and this has been something I've struggled with, or I've held on to this for so long, but the Spirit of God is showing me that I'm lost and I need to be saved. Why is it so hard for us to admit that and be able to say, Lord, thank you for your mercy in showing me what I am so that you can save me? It's our sinful pride. It's our sinful pride. That's what we need to repent of. It's exactly what we need to repent of. Are you feigning yourself to be someone you're not? Do you profess to know Christ, but deep down you know that real salvation is what you really need? If that's you this morning, don't pretend anymore. Come to Christ today. (laughs) He wants to save you. He wants to save you. Don't let your pride or your upbringing or what other people might think, and I promise you no one will think anything other than praise the Lord. Don't let that take you into God's judgment for all eternity. And a message like this might be offensive to some people. I'm sorry if it offends you. I don't want to but you need to hear the truth about your own soul so that you can have peace with God. Amen?
God is working in your heart today, respond to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word today, we pray, to draw people to Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel can be offensive, but it's truth. And the only reason it's offensive is because of the pride in someone's heart. It's never offensive to the humble of heart before God. Lord, I don't know the hearts of men. And I'm not the one who can decide at what age someone gets saved. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying generally speaking. And you see this in Christianity today. How many people at a young age make a profession of faith and then later on they come to the knowledge that they never were truly saved and they need to repent of their sin. It's a problem amongst Christianity. And it leads people into false professions and a false sense of security and they struggle in their life never knowing what true salvation and conversion is and never knowing what the Holy Spirit can do in a person's life. They're blind to it because they've never truly been saved. But in your mercy, Lord, you gently prod with your spirit to draw, to expose, to get people to the place where they can really see what they are and humble themselves before you so that you can save them. What a gracious, merciful God you are. And Lord, I pray this morning for anyone in that condition, Lord, that there would be a humble response to your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.